Thanks for tuning in to the Lean 911 podcast where you'll have a voice directly from the Gemba. I will rely on my three decades of lean successes as well as my failures to answer your most challenging questions regarding your lean transformation. I'm your host, Mark Deluzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Looking forward to your questions now. Let's go to the Gemba. Hi, this is Mark Deluzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Welcome to the Lean 911 podcast where we answer questions that won't get answered normally in the most of the books and consultants that are out there today. We hopefully bring you the tacit knowledge. And this week, we're going to be talking about Kanban. There's a lot of questions about Kanban, a lot of issues, a lot of confusion, like most parts of Lean. Hopefully, I could take some of those questions and uh, help you think through the answers to those. Now, as we go through this podcast, we've already did one on single minute exchange of die. The first time we did was standard work. So there'll be more questions that resonate from you. And I'll be doing subsequent episodes on those questions that you mail into me. So I'll give you that information at the end of this podcast. So we're going to talk about Kanban, which on the surface seems like relatively simple type of concept, but it's not, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. So that's something that we want to make sure we can really get our arms around as we go through. So let's start by the questions. Now, these questions are not necessarily in any kind of order. They don't really need to be at that point, but let's go and talk about some of these questions and we'll go through. So this is episode three of the Lean 911 podcast. The first question, what exactly is Kanban? A lot of people confuse us with the word lean. I get asked that question. Oh, you guys do Kanban? Or, you know, is lean like Kanban? Uh, what is it? Matter of fact, the Sigio Shingo in his book actually talks about the fact that Kanban is not part of the Toyota production system, but it really is to a large degree. And so the answer is no. It is a component of lean, at least that's the way I think about it and the way I was taught. It's how we achieve just-in-time production. And we'll talk more about the concept of Kanban as we go through. But let's talk about what the word means. The word Kanban means, it's Japanese, of course, and it means Kan means sign, and Ban means board. So it's signboard. That's what it means. It's an, actually a signboard. And if you look at a Kanban card, there's a lot of information on that card. And the key word here is Kanban is about information. A lot of people think Kanban's about product and inventory. Yeah, it is. But really, essentially, it's a way we communicate without computers, within a factory, very simply, how we actually ask for inventory when it's needed in consistent with the just-in-time philosophy. So maybe the textbook definition coming right out of Toyota is a system that conveys information between processes and automatically orders parts as they are used up. Okay, it's as simple as that. But the key I want you to focus on, because it's going to play into something a little bit later, is that this is all about information. Why is Kanban sometimes called supermarkets? I've gotten into a lot of discussions and quite frankly, arguments that supermarkets are different than Kanban. No, 
They're not. Everybody seems to think that because Kanban gets misused all over the place. In 1956, after World War II, and as Taishi Ono was developing the Toyota production system, he came to the United States to visit Ford Motor Company. But while he was here, he and some other executives actually went and visited a supermarket. You're probably familiar with it. It's still in existence today. I think it's mostly down south. Last time I saw it was in Georgia, called Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly is a supermarket. And when, when Ono went there, he saw something unique that they didn't have in Japan. He saw that inventory product was stocked on shelves. Customers came and pulled the product off a shelf. By the way, key word there is pull. Keep that in mind because we're going to talk a lot about that in a bit. Customers pulled product off the shelf, created an empty space. And behind that empty space was a clerk that would fill that inventory back up on a first-in, first-out basis. So, so he saw how inventory was actually pulled through this particular supermarket. I'm surmising that in Japan, they didn't have those kind of you know, supermarkets then. You know, in the old days, you used to go into a store, go to a big counter, and ask the clerk, hey, I need a bag of flour and a couple you know, things of bread, and I need a can of this and a can of that. And they would go in the back and get it for you and bring it out, right? And of course, that's not how we're accustomed to supermarkets today. So I think that was new to him. And when he saw that, that gave him the idea of Kanban. So this is why when you go through the literature in the Toyota production system, read some of the books from Ono and Shingo, they will sometimes interchange the word supermarket with Kanban, all right? But Kanban and supermarkets are the same. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise, because it's very confusing when they introduce this new concept called the supermarket that really is the same word for a Kanban, all right? A Kanban is a Kanban. If you want to call it a supermarket, fine, but they're not different. Is Kanban the same as a flow system? I've gotten that question many times over the years. And the answer is very simple. Kanban is a pull system. So let's talk about what a flow system is. A flow system is when inventory flows through your processes and does not stop. All right. It's no different than water going through a garden hose. Inventory does not stop. That's a flow system. When it stops, it then has to be signaled to be pulled to the next process. That's a pull system. So here are the hierarchy of rules in relation to flow and pull. You always first try to flow. If you can't flow, you pull. And, if, and you never, ever push. What do I mean by push? I just made 50 units and I'm gonna just take them to the next department and give them to them with no signal at all. In other words, no Kanban signal that they needed them. Can you imagine if your local grocery store came and knocked on your door on Saturday morning and brought you what they think you needed without you ordering it? Hey, by the way, here's two pounds of steak, here's three gallons of milk, five loaves of bread, and they actually push it on you. That's what we do in a lot of factories today. We make stuff, 
and we push it onto the next function, department, process, whatever, without a signal that says they need it. And this is why MRP scheduling is a bad thing. And by the way, this all eliminates that type of stuff. We don't want MRP scheduling because that's traditionally known as a push system. Yeah, I'm making my production order, but I could, I've seen it so many times with MRP that, geez, I made a bunch of A's, but the next department really is working on a product that consumes B. But I got my A's done because I had a work order for it. Okay, I'm going to bring those A's to them, muddy up their operation. Meanwhile, they're starving for part B. I'm not changed over to it yet. The Kanban system eliminates that. But Nakao's done, Chihiro Nakao from Chingajitsu was one of my principal mentors, could not understand how Americans became so infatuated with Kanban. They would say, boy, Americans would first go out and they whack in a bunch of Kanbans without ever thinking, how should we flow the product? Do I need a Kanban? And he came up with a saying that stuck with me all of these years. He says, Deluzio-san, Kanban is an admission of failure to do one-piece flow. It's an admission of failure. So all along, we're sitting here as Americans thinking, well, you know, Kanban's a really great thing. We should just put in a bunch of Kanbans. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to downplay the value of a Kanban. But his point was, you've never even asked if you could flow and you automatically put a stopping point and build inventory at some point in the production process where maybe if you rearrange your equipment, took down some changeover times, which I'll talk about a little bit later, or whatever it is, you don't need the inventory. You don't need a Kanban because you could flow that product from process to process. So Kanban is an omission of failure to do one piece flow. It's a healthy way to think about it because you'll see in a little bit of time on this presentation, we're going to talk about the whole idea of eliminating Kanbans because we get to a flow state, right? So let's remember this. First, try to flow. If you can't flow, then pull is Kanban. Pull is a form of Kanban. Or I should say Kanban is a form of pull, but never, ever push. Those are the rules you have to live by. There's a lot of confusion about a two-bin system. The, the question I got, hey, should we set up a two-bin system in our Kanban? And the answer is no. Only at the production line itself. There's so much confusion around this. Well, I'll go and I'll see these Kanban set up with two bins. And each bin would have 300 units in it. Well, then if I make improvements to my process, as you'll see in a bit, and I could take out, let's say, 100 units and bring my 600 down to, to 500 units, I've still got two bins of 300. So I can't do that, can I? I've got to get down to an increment of 300. But if I had six bins of 100, I can now go in and take 100 out and be at my 500 you know, part level. So the smaller the bins, the better. Ideally, you want to size your Kanban to accommodate the next process in terms of how they consume that inventory so that you don't have to take parts out of a bin, put it into smaller bins, and do all the extra material handling, okay? But the smaller the bins, the better. Because the more Kanbans you have, we'll refer to these bins as a Kanban because each one's going to have a Kanban card on it, all right, or a signboard. Remember, we talked about that. Then 
the, the more commas I have, the more I'm able to have flexibility to be able to reduce my inventory size as I make process improvements or as my demand fluctuates because the calculation would, uh, would tell you otherwise what to do with, with quantities. Now, remember, I'm not teaching Kanban here. I'm talking about the things that go around Kanban, the type of questions that we ask. So, so I'm assuming that there's some level of understanding of Kanban when I talk about some of these things. I'm not going to go through the Kanban calculations. I'm not going to go through how you calculate all this stuff. That's, you know, more explicit training that, you know, you'll get somewhere else. Right now, I'm talking about these things that come up as questions all the time. Bottom line, you don't want to set your Kanban up. Now, when do you use a tube bin? If the operator's on a line and they have, let's say, two hours worth of product or maybe an hour, all right, and let's just say that happens to be 100 units, then... It's okay to have two bins at that point because when the operator gets done with one bin, she'll have that second bin to be able to continue operating while the water spider grabs that bin that she just consumed and fills it. So if let's just say your tack time happens to be a minute and you have two bins, let's just say in each bin is 25 units. When the operator gets done with the first 25 units, that water spider has a pitch or 25 minutes to fill up that, to get that second bin back to the operator. Because at the end of 25 minutes, the operator will then have consumed that second bin of 25. Okay, so you calculate the pitch in terms of what the water spider needs to do in terms of getting back to that particular point with the right inventory. We don't want the operator to run out. That's where the two bin system gets used, at the point of use in the cell itself not in your general Kanban area. This is a big mistake and you will never improve your inventory unless you've got big increments of reduction of inventory in your Kanban. I had this argument with somebody at Danaher one time where they were using a two-bin system in their main Kanban stock and they were turning inventory seven times, which you might sound, sounds pretty good, but it wasn't. I said, look, I'm gonna come back here in a year. You're still gonna be at seven turns. Because, and I was right, I came back and it was just the wrong thing to do. Had they had smaller bins or more Kanbans, they could have taken that inventory down a lot more than they would have. Matter of fact, they didn't and uh, made those kind of improvements. So anyway, this is the kind of thing that you want to think about more frequent bins. And again, try to size those bins to where the consumption's all about and you'll be better off. Matter of fact, just a little tip here. We, we actually, at Jake Break, when I was there, used colored pans for the parts in the Kanban that had the part number on the pan and all that. And every consuming cell had its own color. For example, Caterpillar cell, the housing cell had, was painted yellow because Caterpillar breaks were yellow, right? We painted all the different pans relative to the consumption. So we knew where they went. We had very good visual management in that regard. So you'd never bring a blue pan over to a Caterpillar line because I think, Cata I think Blue at that time was maybe Cummins. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that we kind of use visual management with colored systems that way, and it was a lot easier to track. Are there different types of Kanban? Another question that comes up. Oh, absolutely. There's all kinds of different types of Kanban. There's a production or a signal Kanban that says, okay, hey, look, you've got to make this part now, right? Especially when you have a piece of equipment that has a, a lot of cha long changeovers. You can't necessarily make one piece flow because so you need a Kanban, right? You have a supplier Kanban 
By the way, that production, sometimes we call that a signal Kanban, all right? We have supplier Kanbans. When you've got inventory coming in from a supplier and you know you, you use that inventory, that card goes back and that constitutes another order for that supplier. A withdrawal Kanban, a transport Kanban, even an emergency Kanban where, hey, something special happened. We got a call that we have to expedite this particular emergency type of thing. We introduce those kind of cards. So there's a lot of different types of Kanbans. One of the things I would recommend and some of the things I've seen in, the, in, in industry is to make sure those Kanban cards are physically or visibly different, whether you use colors, shapes, whatever the case may be. Now, one of the things I saw at a Nippon Denso plant in Japan, which I thought was pretty good, they had these long part numbers, these stock keeping units, right? And it was really easy to make a mistake if you just had to rely on the part number itself. So what they did was for every part number, they came up with a visual picture and they used animals. They had giraffes, tigers, lions, elephants, whatever it was, right? So when the material handler would, you know, go to pick up another bin to bring to the production line, he wasn't looking for part number 792B743-21345. He was looking for an elephant. <laughs> and it was such an easy thing to do. He went over, oh, I need an elephant. There's an elephant. Boom. He took it, brought it to the line. Okay. So, so there's some fun ways to kind of do this where it makes it a lot easier where you're not really struggling with those kind of things. But there are several different types of, of Kanban carts, of Kanbans itself. And depending on your situation and where you're setting up your inventory, you use the appropriate one. This is a very big problem and it's called FIFO lanes. FIFO lanes are very confusing to people and they're misused all the time. FIFO lanes, first of all, are a pull system. It's a form of a pull system, but I typically have used them in a make-to-order environment versus a make-to-stock environment. Now, I don't know how many people don't understand what a make-to-order environment is. You know, if you're making ballpoint pens, every oh yeah, we make those to order because we get orders. No, that's not what I mean. A make-to-order is a specially configured part. And let me give you an example. I did work for a company that made wheelchairs, and they made two types of wheelchairs. One type of wheelchair was a regular wheelchair that you would see like in an airport or in a hospital. Standard wheelchair, two wheels, sometimes, so for some reason, they're always blue. <laughs> okay, but you see them in airports, you see them in hospitals, just basic wheelchairs. But this company also made wheelchairs for you know, unique individuals. As a matter of fact, this company made Superman's wheelchair. Remember Christopher Reeve? When he fell off a horse and was paralyzed? God rest his soul, he's passed away since, but they made his wheelchair. Now, Christopher Reeve's wheelchair is one in a gazillion. Nobody else would ever, with all the different permutations that you could order for that wheelchair, you can order different wheels, different colors, different seats, different cushions, different controls. Christopher Reeve is a unique man from the respect that he had certain physical characteristics. His legs were probably longer than mine because he was taller and maybe I'm heavier, you know, maybe I'm wider. So, so these wheelchairs were prescribed by a physical therapist and there is no way in the world out of 8 million people, somebody would come up with exactly the same wheelchair or very improbable, right? 
So these are truly make-to-order parts or wheelchairs in this case. A make-to-stock part, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make wheelchairs for the airlines. American Airlines is saying we need, you know, 3,000 wheelchairs for our airports. Well, they're all going to be most likely the same. I might have a couple of different models here and there, but they're make-to-stock units. Well, the problem with this company is that they were actually making both types of wheelchairs, the Superman wheelchair, we'll call it, and the airport wheelchair, okay? They were making both wheelchairs under the same production process, the same inventory management process, the same ordering process, all right? And it was really screwing them up. So what I did is I had them split this up into two separate value streams. One value stream for airport uh, wheelchairs and the other value stream for the Superman-type wheelchairs. And in the make-to-stock airport wheelchairs, we actually implemented a finished goods inventory. Now, people say, well, Mark, you're a lean guy and you added inventory. Well, the lead times weren't short enough yet. And what we said was, we're going to cut down the lead time by having this finished goods inventory, which is backed up by a sales and operations planning process, all right? We're going to have this finished goods inventory where somebody orders, you know, a hundred of, you know, model A, and I think in total they had maybe five or six models, right? A hundred of model A, that gives a production order to assembly for a hundred more units, and that holds all the way through the production process, all the sub-assemblies, fabrication, everything else. Right. So, and all those were set up with combines where we couldn't flow. So, that was a, a pull system where the order actually came in at the end of the line in assembly. However, the Superman wheelchair is a little bit different. I can't pull at the end of the assembly line because I've got nothing to pull because I don't know. I have no information going back to fabrication to say, hey, Superman's wheelchair needs to be you know, 18 inches here and 24 inches here, and this one's got to be well on to this. No, yeah, by the way, he wants it to be blue, right? Maybe to match his uniform. I don't know. But then it's got to go through paint, okay? And then from paint, it's got to come out to, or maybe it goes to welding and then to assembly. And to, you know, So there's no way that the end of the line assembly would know what to ask for. So the order in this case has to go all the way back to the beginning of the process, which is fabrication. Well. How do you control the inventory? There's no Kanban here. So what we did is we actually set up FIFO lanes, first in, first out. That's what FIFO means. And we limited the amount of inventory we we're going to have in the FIFO lane. I'm not going to go through the calculation right now. But what would happen is, let's just say that the fabrication area, after they welded, would have that part go into painting. And let's just say between paint and fabrication, uh, you needed 10 units. That's what the math said we needed based on tack time and everything else. Well, once that was filled with 10, we didn't produce anymore. When one was taken out of that FIFO line, now there's nine left, we'll make one more. Okay. And that's how we controlled our inventory. That's a true FIFO lane. It's a pull system, but it's a FIFO lane. And remember, it's all about information because the information for that order had to go back to fab at the beginning of the process actually start manufacturing the pipes and tubing and everything else that would make up the wheelchair. That's where the wheelchair got its identity, okay? We already knew the identity of the wheelchair when the order came in on the airport type, right? So, so 
That's the difference. It's putting them up into two value streams is very useful and very easy for them to manage, right? So are you a make-to-order house or are you a make-to-stock house? I'll still consider a FIFO lane a form of Kanban. It is a pull system, okay? But it gets misused all the time where real Kanban should be used. Or sometimes I've seen FIFO lanes be used when we could easily float. It's like, well, why did you put that FIFO lane? And all you have to do is take the part and put it onto the next process. So, so these are kind of things you have to think about. Big confusion on FIFO lanes. So hopefully that clears it up a little bit. And obviously you can email me and, and ask me more questions about that if that's the case. Okay. I was told that Kanban should be a tool for con continuous improvement. How can this be? I get asked this question a lot. How could Kanban be used for a tool of cont uh, you know, continuous improvement? If you reduce the number of... So first of all, let's go back for a minute. When we figure out the right quantity of inventory in a Kanban, based on the number of parts we have and all that, and based on capacity and lead time and changeover times and all that, we have this Kanban set up based on our capabilities. Now, if I came in and said to you, hey, by the way, I want you to just take 50% of your Kanban away and only work with 50%, what would you do? You'd come back to me and you'd say, well, Mark, you know, we can't. Well, why? Well, we got long changeover time, so we're not going to be able to supply the customer. We're going to starve the process upstream. Okay. Long changeover times. What else you got? Well, we got equipment downtime that we have to account for. Oh, okay. What else you got? Well, we've got a difficult assembly that sometimes we have rejects. Oh, okay. Well, guess what you just did? You just highlighted your Kaizen plan. Those are the three things you need to work on a priority basis. The reason you have Kanban is because you have abnormalities and you can't flow, right? I mean, two reasons. One, you can't flow because you have a bottleneck operation, like one piece of equipment that feeds a number of different areas. And two, or with long changeovers, or two, you have abnormalities and you have to cover yourself on that regard. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So as you attempt to reduce the number of Kanbans, you're going to reach a point where your abnormalities are going to hit you right in the butt, okay? And they'll prohibit you from going further. That's your opportunity for Kaizen. All right, so think about that. Think about Kanban, not as a stagnant, I'm going to keep this here forever, but I want to reduce it. Sooner or later, I want to get to a flow situation, so I don't need Kanban at all. But I'm going to reduce my Kanban because I'm getting my operations more robust, more efficient, more sustainable, less downtime, all that kind of stuff, right? So, yes, Kanban should be used as a tool for continuous improvement, but you've got to challenge yourself to ask, if I reduced it by 50%, what would happen? Or 25%. What would be my issues if I went to do that? I'm not saying just go ahead and do that and shut yourself down. Don't get me wrong. I would ask that question though. If I reduce that Kanban by 50%, what are the issues I'm going to have? And those are the things you got to start working on. Okay. This comes up. We are a high mix, low volume business. So Kanban doesn't apply, correct? No, you're wrong. That's exactly the situation that Toyota was in after World War II. They perhaps had one stamping press that they did hoods and doors and, and trunk bodies and roofs and all that, where their counterparts in America, you know, GM and Ford and all those guys had multiple pieces of capital 
that they could dedicate that press all those doors, that press the right door, that press those left doors, right? No changeovers. They had to figure out how to get by with less. And that was the whole essence of why Ono-san created the Toyota production system along with the Clio forerunners, right? So, so this is where they learned to be extremely efficient out of necessity. If they were going to compete, and let's not forget that the whole reason why they did this is to bring down their costs, all right? And cost sometimes is a four-letter word, but that is the reason why the Toyota production system was created at the end of the day. They want, if they were going to compete, they had to drive all these improvements, right? And believe it or not, Toyota is considered and was considered a high mix, low volume business. So if you've ever been to a Toyota facility, and I've been to several in Japan and in and, and some other places, you'll see that they're making a Camry that's red and a white Corolla right behind it on the same production line. And then you might see a blue Avalon, whatever, right? Mixed model production. Why mixed model? Mixed model because we want to, the closer we can match our production plan to our demand schedule. I talked about this, I think, in the single minute exchange to die video podcast. Then the less inventory you need and the lower your lead times. Customers don't order 200 white Camrys and then 200 red. That's not orders come in and then 200 red Camrys, and then 200 blue Camrys. That's not how customers order. They order a red Corolla. Oh yeah, now I have an order for a white Camry and so forth and so on, right? So, so that is considered high mix, low volume. And by the way, all the different permutations, left-hand drive, right-hand drive, you know, different options that they offer, that's high mix, low volume. And everybody says, well, Toyota's, not that. Yeah, it is. And that's how it started out. And that was the foundation of creating TPS, Toyota Production System, to begin with. Now, I will say this. Kanban is not applicable in a one-of-a-kind production environment. So in other words, if you're making something that I can't think of an example now, that it's just a one-of-a-kind thing. Okay, you're a job shop. Well, yeah, you might have a Kanban for common parts that you know you're going to need. But if every part that goes into whatever you're configuring, let's say you're a custom house that, that makes all kinds of different configurated products that are just different, right? You don't even have a product line. Then contract manufacturer, for example. Then, no, you can't really use Kanban to that degree. Like I said, you might use it for some things that you know are pretty much common, maybe screws and nuts. But at the end of the day, you don't want to screw around with Kanban on low volume inventory like that because who cares, right? You really want to look at A and B items, the more expensive items that you want to put your management time into with Kanban. When it came to screws and nuts, what we would do in washers, we actually went out to the grocery store and bought one of those big plastic bins that they put cereal and coffee in, put those on the production line, filled it up with six months worth of washers. Who cares? Cost you a dollar two ninety eight to do that. Why am I going to spend a lot of time managing a, a bunch of washers and screws and nuts and things like that? So we just loaded it up, and when it got down to the red reorder line, we just filled it back up again. Okay, didn't put a lot of time into that. You don't want to generate Kanban cards for screws and nuts and what I would call C items. That's not something you want to do, right? But as far as high mix, low volume, 
absolutely Kanban applies. I heard there are rules of Kanban. People say, what are the rules of Kanban? Well, there are six fundamental rules. Actually, I like to say there's seven. One is never pass on defective products, right? So you have to assure quality before you pass a part on. This whole notion of, oh yeah, well, I'll fix it at the end of the line. I have to worry about quality is just wrong. One of the principles of lean is you never pass a bad product or bad information, if it's a sales order, let's say, onto the next process. How many times have your salespeople taken the wrong specs from the customer? Because they, you know, they don't get paid on quality of orders. They get paid on making sales. Maybe that's your change, right? But how many times have you seen the specifications come in wrong and then there's a big rework loop and you just want a bunch of inventory that's the wrong inventory for that particular order. You know, you got production delays now, all that type of stuff, right? So that's a defect. And as far as I'm concerned, passing bad information on is as you know, sinful, if you will, as passing on bad product, all right? They both have ramifications that are not good. Then the next rule is, so first rule, never pass on defective products. Second rule, only take what's needed. If I have a Kanban card that says I need 15 units, and I come over to my Kanban and I say, let's take a little safety stock for myself. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take 30 units, right? I just created stress in the system, and now that operation has to make those extra 15 units, which is sucking up capacity and resources, where another legitimate demand on that Kanban and that process center could be making that part. So in other words, I came over and I said, hey, give me 30, I took 30 Bs instead of 15. Now, I violated that because I only have a Kanban card that says 15, but I took 30. So now I got a hole there, right? When they start making that part number, let's say it's part A, but true demand for B comes in because there's an order waiting, right? And I just did myself a whole disservice. So only take what's needed. Otherwise, you violate what? You violate the concept and the principle of just-in-time. Produce the exact quantity required. I've seen this a big sin where the producing center that has that supermarket says, you know, it's really tough to change this thing over. I know the combine quantity says I need to make 100 of these. I'm going to make 150 just for a rainy day. I just don't want to change over. It's late in the day. I don't matter if I change over now. You know, I got to get home and it's got a baseball game tonight. I'm just going to make an extra 50. Wrong. All right. That's the wrong thing to do. That's overproduction. One of Ono's oh seven ways is called overproduction. You just overproduced. And oh yeah, by the way, you just once again violated the just-in-time concept by overproducing. All right. By the way, one thing I'd like to note is that the Kanban inventory itself, the supermarket, should be at the producing center, not at the consuming center. You want that inventory to be at the producing center. I've seen so many mistakes where they take the Kanban inventory and put it where it's consumed. That is the absolute wrong thing to do. It's got to be at the point of production. The supermarket in your local neighborhood does not put their groceries in your kitchen. They have it at the point where you go get it and pull it. All right. So don't make that mistake. That should probably be another rule. 
four, you've got to level the production. And I'll talk about this in a minute. Matter of fact, I'm going to come back to that one on another slide. You've got to level the production. And that's called high level scheduling. Fine-tuning your production. Making sure you're continuing to improve your production so that you can take that inventory down over the course of time. And it all fits into the math of the calculation, like I said, what we're not going to go through right now. And then stabilize your process and rationalize your process. Again, that's part of the whole continuous improvement efforts here, right? So but we'll get into the level of production now that says, you know, do you need to level all your production in order to do combine? So many people I've come, came back to me and said, you know, Mark, we tried combine and it didn't work. That stuff doesn't work. Then they give me all the reasons why. And the first question I ask is, have you level loaded your production? Well, well, no, why do we need to do that? By the way, one of the big mistakes I see is when people put Kanban and the first Kanban they go to put in is a Kanban, a supplier Kanban. They haven't done anything to level load their factory. They have erratic demand signals all over the place. It's chaos, but they have a Kanban with their supplier, right? Now, what does that do to the supplier? I'm getting signals every day that are all over the place. I got a signal now that says, oh, I need 100, guys. Today, I, got, I, I don't have any. The next day, I've got 500 as a demand. The next day, it's 200. Two days go by with nothing. And then all of a sudden, I get a demand for 800, okay? You can't do that to your supplier, and that's the last thing you do. As a matter of fact, a supplier Kanban, and this is a big mistake, most people put that Kanban in first. It is absolutely the last thing you do, because if you think about how you would go after a value stream, is you start closer to the customer, work your way back. And when you work your way back in your factory, what's the very last thing you do? You go to your supply base, right? Your outside external suppliers I'm talking about. So that is a cardinal sin, a cardinal mistake. But so many people say, well, Mark, you know, we tried combat, it just didn't work. We always stocked out, we had all kinds of problems and, you know, did you level load your production? No. Well, why not? We can't do that because our business is different. You don't understand. We have seasonality. Yeah. Okay. Well, line up. There is no business in the world. I don't think that has season that doesn't have seasonality. Okay. Let's kill that excuse. Cause what you're doing is level loading over a certain time horizon. It could be a week, could be a month, could be two months, depending on any, every business is different, right? Working with an OEM, for example, you might get a nice level loaded schedule for the next two months and you can work to that. Some, you don't know, you've got consumer products that are being, who knows, right? And this is where some of the SNOP sales and operations planning comes in to help you kind of normalize that. And I'll talk more about that in a second, about how you might handle that with some safety stock and buffer stock. So, so anyway, you've got to level load your schedule over a certain time horizons. You can't possibly make different varying degrees of volume on a day-to-day -day basis. I talk about this in my standard work, my standard work module, my, my podcast on that in episode one. That can you imagine if every night you prepared, you know, dinner for a family of four? Then on Thursday night, all of a sudden you've got, you know, 15 people coming over. And then on Friday, you go back to a family of four. But on Saturday, you learn that, oh, geez, you know, 25 people coming over. Can you imagine the fluctuation and the disruption that you'd have when that happens? And hey, look, I know that happens because we've got Thanksgiving coming up. We got a big group of people coming over. 
Well, can you imagine if that's your daily life where every single day, today it's four, tomorrow it's 20, next day I got 15 people coming over, next day it's 12. It's untenable. You can't do that. The inefficiencies would drive you nuts, right? So you've got to level load and those signals you send to your inside processes, your upstream processes, your downstream processes, and your outside suppliers cannot be like a jigsaw all over the place. Right, you've got the level load, and that's a real key. One question I get all the time is on electronic combon. Hey, Mark, we're going to do electronic combine. Well, guess what? That's an oxymoron. Sorry. Combine is visual, physical. It's visual. You start doing things in the Ethernet, in the cloud, as they call it. Right. Good luck with that. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows it. Electronic combine. No, no. You've got to have that visual cue with your cards now. This is a little bit different when I say, okay, well, you could barcode a Kanban card and send that signal to your material system, your inventory system, or even on a supplier Kanban. There's nothing wrong with barcoding your Kanban, your supplier Kanban card that sends a signal right to the supply base, all right, or to your purchasing group or whoever, you know, it needs to go to. That's different than electronic Kanban. When people say electronic Kanban, they want to eliminate the cards altogether and all the visual that goes with it. Remember, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. People say, oh, we can look it up in the computer. Well, good luck with that. I can't go buy a Kanban with a, from a visual management perspective to know whether or not you're stocked out, to know whether or not you've got too much, you overproduced, you know? And I haven't talked a lot about how you would set up a Kanban system where you can actually see that easily, maybe beyond the scope of this podcast. But bottom line is, a visual, an electronic Kanban is an oxymoron. Okay, no, it's not in place of Kanban cards or any type of visual system, all right? Now, one of the things we want to do with Kanban is eliminate expensive, complex computer and inventory management systems. Believe it or not, sometimes the manual system is the best way to go. I know, yeah, by the way, yeah, you'll have to adjust your Kanbans over time because your tech time might change, which means your demand changes, your lead times could get better, your abnormalities could be improved through Kaizen. So when all that happens, you would obviously adjust accordingly, right? So that's okay. But to just eliminate all Kanban and all that visual management and all the information that goes with it. No, electronic Kanban is absolutely, in the sense I'm talking about it, is a no-no. This comes up quite a bit. Hey, what's the difference between buffer stock and safety stock? Okay, so when you go through the calculations of Kanban, and let's say, for example, for a particular part number, you need, you know, 500 units. Well, that may not be good enough if I have abnormalities either in my demand or in my operations. So there's two actual calculations that we estimate or do that say, okay, well, a buffer stock is going to be that amount of inventory that protects me from fluctuations, unforeseen fluctuations in demand. So for my sales and operation planning process, let's say I'm doing this based on forecast because I don't have hard orders right now, right? If I have hard orders, that's great. I know what I need to make. But 
My sales and operations planning process says, yeah, oh yeah, by the way, you know, your volume is going to be X per month. Well, that, that may not necessarily mean it's going to be even every single day. So I need to accommodate for any wide deviations in demand. Maybe I got to go to 700 or, you know, whatever. So that's what a buffer stock does. Now, a safety stock's a little bit different. It's still extra inventory that you don't want, okay? And that inventory is based on abnormalities in operations. So I've got machine downtime. Operators don't show up. I got an erratic supplier that doesn't supply parts. I've got a long change over times that, you know, machines go down, quality problems. So a safety stock is inventory added to the combine quantity to protect unforeseen issues and operations. So those are the two differences. Now, both are abnormalities, number one. And if you look at improving your forecasting and your sales and operations planning process, your buffer stock should be minimized. Same thing with safety stock. The more I do Kaizen, the more I, you know, eliminate abnormalities in my operations. Yeah, I should be able to take away that safety stock over the course of time. Now, interesting thing I saw at Toyota one time in Japan, I went in there and I saw a bunch of inventory sitting off to the side. It had a big red tape around it with a sign that was written in kanji. And I asked our, our tour guide what that was. He said, that's safety stock. We are putting safety stock in to protect the customer. Now, let's think about this. In the world of priority, safety first, quality, delivery, cost. Cost is last. Inventory is a cost, okay? Delivery was more important than cost. So we had to protect the customer by putting inventory in. But the interesting thing about this, you know, most people just add the inventory and forget about it. And then all of a sudden it becomes part of the normal landscape of your business, right? We want to identify the safety stock visibly. So what they did is they took that stock and they put red tape around it and they put a sign on it. And, on, and when I had them translate that sign, they said, okay, well, it said, this is safety stock due to the fact that XYZ process is malfunctioning and not reliable. We will be removing this stock on April 15th because we are currently doing Kaizen to eliminate that problem. That's what they did, right? They highlighted their abnormality. Had they not done that, inventory would have been blended in with everything else and nobody would have known you had an abnormality, all right? This goes back a little bit to that question about, you know, how do you use, you know, Kanban for continuous improvement? Well, they were very visible about it and they wanted everybody to know this is not a normal situation. And by the way, the color red is a international color that we use for abnormalities, defects, machine downtime, things like that. So that's what they use. They use red tape to go around that inventory. Thought that was very interesting. And I'm glad I asked the question. So again, buffer stock, safety stock, buffer stock to buffer you, if you will, with unforeseen demand fluctuations and safety stock for abnormalities in your operations. How does reduction and change over time affect the size of the combine inventory? I will, I'm here to tell you that there is a one-for-one -one correlation. If you reduce, if you're level loading, 
your production schedule and you reduce your change over time by 50% for that particular operation that has that Kanban, you will reduce your inventory and your Kanban inventory by 50%, which corresponds to a 50% reduction in lead time. Now, I've got the map to show this. This is not something right now I could show you or talk about. It's too much detail at this point. But if you would email me, and I'll give you that email at the end, I'll be happy to send you the model where you can actually take a look at that. As a matter of fact, I will also send you the YouTube link because I did a video on this, a YouTube video that actually shows you how this model works. So if you want that model, I'll be happy to give it to you. And also it's on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, and I'll make sure you have that information as well. So if you reduce by 25% your change over time, you will get a 25% corresponding reduction in your combine inventory. And it's a one-for-one -one deal. And this model will show it to you. It will actually show you mathematically how that works. One other thing that people forget, if I can reduce the cycle time of the operation without compromising quality, I will have an equal effect. In other words, if I could take down the total cycle time of that operation, machine cycle time, by 15%, I'll reduce the combine by 15%. So now you got a double whammy. You reduce your change over time and you reduce your cycle times, machine cycle times, you've got a double whammy now in terms of reduction, all right? So a lot of people forget about machine Kaizen where you could take out, you know, tools cutting air, for example, is waste. Speeds and feeds, things like that. Again, quality is always number one, but if you can actually take that time out, what you've essentially done, take that time down, I should say, your cycle times, what you actually have done then is allow more time for you to do changeovers. And believe it or not, you want to do more changeovers, not less. Sounds kind of crazy. I won't talk much about it now, but if you go back to episode two in Single Minute Exchange of Die and I talk about that in detail, you'll see what I'm talking about. More changeovers are better, right? Now, more changeovers are not better if they're nine hours long, okay? So that's why you really need to get to a point where those changeover times come down and you do more changeover. And that's how you move towards flow as you move those improvements in changeover time. So, so there is a one-for-one -one correlation between changeover time and com combine inventory, which translates right into lead time. Okay. Well, thanks for visiting. That's what I have so far. Oh, I think I made a mistake here on my video. If you're looking at this on YouTube, this thing says SMED, but it really should be Kanban. But anyway, you're not seeing that if you're just listening to this. But anyway, email me your comments and questions at mark at lean911.com. That's mark, M-A-R-K, at lean911.com. And I'll be happy to include those questions on future podcasts. And thank you very much for visiting. And get back to the Gemba and do some Kaizen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lean 911 podcast. I'll be happy to address your questions or feedback on future episodes. Email me at mark at lean911.com. You can check out our other episodes by visiting our website at lean911.com, our YouTube channel, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Mark DeLuzio. Thanks for listening.